It is so good as we are preparing ourselves for the advent of Jesus, remembering his first advent. We are also looking forward to the second coming uh, of the Savior. Uh, it's important that we celebrate that at this time of year. Now, we are breaking into our series in John uh, this month because we've come to the end of the first part of the first half of John's Gospel, so it's an appropriate moment uh, to take a break. And with it being Advent, uh, we are going to consider uh, some appropriate verses for this time of year. Uh, I've shared this in the midweek meeting. I don't know if this is true of you. As you're getting older, aren't you looking forward more to uh, Christmas uh, Day and enjoying Christmas uh, because of uh, the amazing events uh, that we are reminding ourselves of? Uh, the reading that we had from Isaiah, it was a song, wasn't it? And a number of uh, the narratives, especially in Luke's Gospels, are songs. There is something celebratory about Christmas. And the verses I've got to bring before us this morning, they're not songs, but they're written in a very poetic way. So it's Paul writing to the Galatians. There's disagreement as to whether Galatians or 1 Thessalonians was the first letter that Paul wrote, but it's one of his earliest letters. And verses 4 and 5 of Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 of the fourth chapter of Galatians. This is an Advent message. When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Uh, time is pressing, so I want to ask four questions about this wonderful, eloquent statement of Paul's. The first is, when did Jesus Christ come into this world? I will say, that's very simple. It was the 25th of December. No, it wasn't. No one is sure as to the specific dates that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. But if you're asked, when did Jesus come? The answer is in this verse. When the fullness of the times were come. You know what, my friends? God is always on time. Uh, when I came to this church, I discovered that there was something called Heath time. <coughs> Heath time. We, we never quite started our meetings on time. And then I traveled to India, and I discovered something even more flexible than Heath time. Indian time. Uh, where meetings wouldn't start for a couple of hours sometimes. Now, don't worry, we're not going to adopt that here. But when it comes to God, he's never behind time. He's never ahead. He's right on time. Uh, Bishop 
uh, Ryle or was it Spurgeon? Uh, they were both around the same time, 19th century. They said, our Lord did not come before his time, nor behind his time. He was punctual. The hinge of history. Do you know what that is? The hinge of history. B.C., before Christ, A.D. That's the hinge of history. And all times are in God's hands. There are no loose threads in the providence of God. The great clock of the universe keeps perfect time. So when did Jesus Christ come? He came right on time. Now what does that mean? Let's open this up. Because we sometimes, as Christians, are too much on the defensive. You know, history is on our side. Uh, the fact that we are in 2023 and about to enter 2024, that means we are 2,023 years since the coming of Jesus Christ. Even our secular society has to acknowledge that. And history, as somebody put it, is nothing less than his story. God is the one in control of history. It was God who decided when his son came into this world. God is three persons, one God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and it was the second person, the Son, that the Father sent 2,000 years ago. It was exactly the right time. Now, let me just mention a few other things. I don't want to give a historical lecture here, but these points are important. There was the Pax Romana. Do you know what Pax Romana means? A book has just come out on the Pax Romana. The Peace of Rome. Augustus Caesar was in control of the Roman Empire, and under his reign, there was relative peace and stability in the empire. Why is that important? It's important for this reason. The gospel of Jesus Christ, which went out after his death and resurrection and ascension, had uh, effectiveness because of the Pax Romana. And then it wasn't just the peace of Rome, was it? There were Roman roads. Do you know we've got Roman roads here in Wales? We call them Sarn Helen in Wales. And they're great if you're walking and you've got a Sarn Helen. They're brilliant because they're straight. The Roman roads uh, don't take any notice of hills. They just go straight. And the saying, all ro roads lead to Rome, it was true uh, 2,000 years ago. You had this network of roads that facilitated the taking of the gospel. So by the end of the book of Acts, you've got the gospel reaching Rome. That's not a long period of time. So Jesus Christ came when there was this peace, which the world hadn't known before, when there was this communication, which the world hadn't experienced before. And there was the Greek language. I know it's all Greek to us, but at the time, it was the lingua franca. It was the common language. And so the first missionaries, they didn't have to learn. They didn't have to go to Bible college to learn different dialects. They just preached in Greek, and most people understood them. Now, I'm not preaching in Greek this morning because 
in our world, especially in the West, English is the lingua franca. And English, as you can gather, isn't my first language. Welsh is my first language, and I'm very proud of Welsh. And it's a beautiful language. And it's older and more poetic than English. But not that many people understand Welsh in the Western world, unfortunately. So English is the language that we can use to communicate the gospel. And there was something else as well. It was right on time, because not only was Greek the language that people spoke, but Greek philosophy. Have you ever read some of the Greek philosophers? They're awesome. They are the closest, I think, you can get to knowing God, but they miss the mark. They don't get quite far enough. Plato did not get it. So the world had come at its closest to trying to understand life, the universe, and everything. But it had failed. And I don't think there was an expectation when Jesus was born. I think it was the reverse. I think there was a desperation. People had tried every form of knowledge of God in their own uh, understanding. Man, by seeking, shall not find God. And the pantheon of gods that the Greeks and the Romans had were all found wanting. And then, when the cry was going out, Lord, how long God sent forth his son. We sang it, didn't we? Earth was waiting. Isn't it a bit like today that there is a world network today, isn't there? It's a global village. Uh, I know there are other languages that are common today, but there, there is a communication that we have today that wasn't around uh, before. And when you think of all the different isms and the way that they failed to meet our deepest needs, we can say today, earth was waiting, spent and restless, with a mingled hope and fear, and the faithful few there are still, the remnants were sighing, surely, Lord, the day is near, the desire of all the nations, it is time. He should come. It was right on time when Jesus came 2,000 years ago. And I believe if God was to send revival to us, it'll be right on time. We don't know if the tide has gone out to its farthest yet. But often when that happens, God comes. And actually, the tide at its farthest means that it's already beginning to turn. So when... Right on time, the fullness of the times. Who did God send in the fullness of the times? Well, of course, you will say Jesus Christ. But who is he? Listen to Paul. When the fullness of the times had come, God sent forth his son. The second person of the Trinity. We'll come to that in a moment. But what I want to say here is this, sent forth. This is true Christianity. God doing something. Human religion, 
human philosophy, and I'm including nominal Christianity, and uh, that is us striving. But true Christianity is God stretching out his arm. God intervening. So history is his story. So there is the line of world history. God is in control of that. But there's another line. There is the line of God intervening into world history. So when this world fell, this is why the universe, not just the earth, the universe is in the mess it's in. It's because our first parents, Adam and Eve, they were set in paradise. God had created the world and it was perfect and good. And then sin entered and our first parents disobeyed God and the creation fell. And we have been in rebellion against God since then. And all the terrible things that are happening in this world are happening because it's a fallen world. And in the end, there is death. Death is separation from God. We are all already spiritually dead one day we will all physically die and we will all eternally be separated from God so that's not good news is it but in the gloom that descended upon Eden after Adam and Eve fell God shone a light this is the first intervention you've got world history but then the special history of God's intervention and God gave the proto-evangel didn't he he said the seed of the woman is going to destroy one day what the devil has done. So you've got two lines of history. You've got God calling a people to himself. The history of God's people, it doesn't look like much. Uh, in the Old Testament, you've got these two lines, world history, the history of the people of God. And if you look at any uh, book on world history, Israel doesn't get much of a mention does it but the bible is the other way around the bible gives more attention to the people of god and other things that were big in their time are just footnotes in the bible so throughout the old testament the light is shining a bit more there was a glimmer of hope in genesis chapter 3 and then the son of righteousness as it were is beginning to rise that's a term for jesus christ and so you have god calling abraham and God saying, it's through Abraham and his seed I'm going to send this person one day. And then a little later, you've got Jacob. And we know it's through the nation of Israel. Not a special people, just a stubborn people. But that's the grace of God for you. And then a little later, Moses. And God teaching his people that he's going to dwell amongst them. The tabernacle, the tents where God dwelt. And that it's through sacrifices that God is going to deal with his people. And then a little later, you've got King David and some of the Psalms he wrote. Look forward to the Messiah as his greater son. And then a little later, you've got the prophets coming. And even more detail. You see, the sun is rising, illumining more and more into the darkness. And we're even given detail of the place of birth of this Messiah, thou Bethlehem Ephrata, and of his death. Isaiah 53. And then there is 400 years of silence in between the Old and the New Testament. Have you got a sheet of paper in between the Old and the New Testament? There shouldn't be a sheet of paper. They should go one into the other. But there's 400 years of silence. No prophets. No angel. 400 years of nothing. 
And it seems as if God has forgotten. But no, then he sends forth this person. I think it wasn't just Greek philosophies that had had its day. I'm using my words carefully here, but I even think the Old Testament dispensation, all the symbols, the tabernacle, which was the temple, the priests having to sacrifice, uh, all the lambs, how many lambs had been slain over the centuries, and then the priest had to be replaced because the priest would die. And I think even amongst the ancient people of God, there was a cry, Lord, how long must we carry on in infant school, as Paul mentions in this chapter of Galatians? How long must we just have these types and shadows? Lord, we want the real thing. And then God intervened. And you got these two lines converging, converging. In the coming of Jesus Christ. And what has happened since the hinge of history? Well, the history of the world has, in effect, been influenced by the coming of Christ. And one day he will return, and it won't be in uh, obscurity. Every eye will see him, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So God intervening. That's Christianity. And God sending his son, the second person of the Trinity. So God became man. Do you remember during the year 2000, you had churches with a sign outside saying, uh, Christmas uh, 2000 years ago is the birthday of, uh, of Christ. That's wrong. Christ, the Son of God, is from eternity. What happened 2,000 years ago is that the eternal Son of God put on human nature. He became a man. He didn't just put on manhood as a, a coat. He became a real man. So we can say Jesus was born 2,000 years ago, not Christ. So Mary held in her arms the creator of the universe. How amazing that is. I can't get my little head around that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The hopes and fears of all the years, all the centuries, all the eons are met, not just in Bethlehem, are met, not just in the stable, are met in the arms of Mary. So that's who came. We sang, didn't we? I'm trying to choose the hymns to help the sermon. You're the word of God the Father. From before the world began, every star and every planet has been fashioned by your hand. The one whose hands created the universe is now a helpless babe. All creation holds together by the power of your voice, yet you left the gaze of angels and came to seek and save the lost. He came for me, for you. And then how did he come? How did he come? Let's look at Paul again. 
When the fullness of the times had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman. So God sent forth his Son speaks of the divinity of Christ. Born of a woman speaks of his manhood, his humanity. So this is the doctrine of the Incarnation. Great is the mystery of godliness. God manifest in the flesh. He's 100% God, 100% man. But he's not two persons. He's one person with two natures. Can you understand that? I can't. I just worship. (laughs) I can't get my head around that either. I just worship. But this is what I want to tell you. He was a real baby. How, how do you know if you've got uh, children in the church? I love having children in the church. It's a sign of life, having children in the church, isn't it? I'd rather have children. You know if you've got children in the church because they cry. I'd rather have that than silence. Silence is the sign of death. And so Jesus Christ would have cried. He would have cried. He was a real baby. He would have needed to be changed. He would have had to uh, been held. He couldn't have walked by himself. And then he would have grown up. He was a real boy. He went through everything that children have to go through. And then he became a teenager. And we know what teenagers are like. And Jesus Christ was a teenager. And then he became a young man. And he helped in his father's shop. His father was a carpenter, not a big paying job. And they didn't live in the capital, Jerusalem. They lived in Nazareth, a dump of a place. Still is. That's where God incarnates dwelt. He dwelt among us. He was born of a woman by one thing. He never sinned. Never sinned. Not even as a baby, or a boy, or a teenager, or a man. He never sinned. But he experienced everything else bar sin. He was born of a woman. Now, Luther, you know Martin Luther, the reformer, he loved Christmas. He used to dress as an angel at Christmas time. And he wrote to him about it, about the angel announcing the birth of the Savior. So Luther, in the service, I think it was to the children he was doing this, he would dress as an angel and uh, take the part of the angel. Isn't that lovely? The great reformer uh, being uh, like that. Now, don't misunderstand this quote of Luther. It just shows how approachable Jesus Christ is, right? Whatever your struggles are, this is how Luther put it. Christianity does not begin at the top, as all other religions do. It begins at the bottom. Whenever you are concerned about your salvation, you must put away all speculations about the majesty, all thoughts of works, traditions, indeed of the laws of God itself. And you must run directly to the manger and the mother's womb, Embrace the infant and virgin's child in your arms and look to him, born, being nursed, growing up, 
going about in human society, teaching, dying, rising again, ascending, and having authority over all things. In this way, you can shake off all terrors. There is no terror in Jesus Christ. We don't need Mary as a mediator to come to Jesus Christ. We need Jesus Christ as a mediator to come to God. But he's not just born of a woman. He's born under the law. What is that? He was a Jew. He was born under not just the moral law, but the ceremonial law. So Jesus had to be circumcised the eighth day, as every Jewish boy had to be. He kept all the uh, dictates of the uh, Old Testament laws. That's why he had to go to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And of course, the most important thing for you and for me is he kept the moral law. He didn't just keep it outwardly, the Ten Commandments. He kept it in his heart. He loved God with all his being. And he loved his fellow human beings, even his enemies, as himself. And you know, he did that for you and for me. He's our substitute. That's why he was born a woman, born under the law. He didn't have to do it himself. He didn't have to leave heaven. But he did it so that he could stand in our place. And the most important thing he did was he took the curse of the law. That's what Paul teaches in Galatians. Uh, Let me read from the previous chapter, Galatians 3, verse 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. We've broken the law of God and we have to stand before the judgment of God. But Jesus Christ not only obeyed the law on our behalf, but he took the punishments of the broken law. Uh, How did uh, the hymn put it? Living he loved me, dying he saved me, buried he carried my sins far away. He took them upon himself. Hallelujah. What a saviour. And then finally, why? Why did he come? When the fullness of the times had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. What is redemption? Do you know what redemption is? It's a term used to describe slaves being set free. So you've got this in films. Uh, If you've got uh, people who are in slavery, if they're to be liberated, a price has to be paid to their owners. That's called a redemption fee. We all understand that, don't we? And the redemption fee, usually for slaves, is very high. But we, my friends, are slaves to something far worse Uh, than you will find in the films. We are slaves to sin. Even people who come to church, respectable people, we are all enslaved to our lusts and we can't free ourselves from it. Only Christ can do it. And he can't just release us. Redemption has to be paid. And it's the highest price of any redemption. Do you know what the price was? We have been redeemed, not with silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. The blood 
that was shed on the cross, signifying a sacrificial death. Divine blood. God didn't die, but the God-man died. And his blood. Oh, my friends, there's enough sufficiency in his blood to cleanse you from all your sin, to cleanse an infinite number. That's the price. Aren't you glad that Jesus paid the price? Do you know why Paul had to write Galatians? He had to write it because believers had come under a spell. They'd come under a spell. They had heard people say, it's good to believe in Jesus Christ, but if you really want to be saved, you've got to keep the law as well, especially be circumcised. And Paul said, what? He doesn't bother with uh, introductions in this letter. He goes straight to the point. What has happened to you? Why have you been uh, taken, as it were, under false teaching? You cannot uh, believe plus do something else. If you're doing that, you're saying that Jesus' death isn't enough. Is there anybody here this morning who's thinking that to believe in Jesus alone isn't enough? that you've got to add to your faith something else. Well, you're saying, in effect, that what Jesus did is not enough. Not enough. The perfect life of the God-man, not enough. The death on the cross where he paid our debts too great for us with his own dear heart blood, not enough. Perish the thoughts. Perish the thoughts. Jesus Christ is enough. And faith just takes hold of that. And listen, we are redeemed from slavery to sin, not to do what we want, but to serve him. To serve him. And then something else he's done. What's that? He has adopted us as sons. When the fullness of the times had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. If you're a believer, you're free. There is no more condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. I'm free to serve God. Not in a spirit of fear and bondage, but with a spirit of adoption. Paul isn't being sexist when he talks about the adoption of sons, in the ancient world, it was only sons who received the inheritance. <laughs> Thankfully, things have changed now. But it was sons who received the father's inheritance. And you know, Jesus Christ, by dying on the cross, he didn't just set us free from sin's foul bondage. He puts adoption papers with our names on them to his father and he puts you in his will isn't that amazing tonight we're having communion communion is the last will and testaments of jesus christ and you know what he does he doesn't just forgive us as slaves and set us free he makes us members of his family and we will inherit the estates those who have gone ahead of us so many have died since COVID. They have been promoted to an inheritance uncorruptible and defiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven. Do you realize you're a child of God if you're a believer? It's not being born to Abraham that makes you the children of Abraham, Paul says in Galatians. It's believing in Jesus Christ. 
And there's nothing better than being a child of God. Uh, what did Billy Bray say? Billy Bray was a poor Cornish miner. He was converted. And when Billy Bray visited uh, people living in posh houses, he didn't go by the tradesman's entrance in the back. He knocked the front door. Do you know why he knocked the front door? He said, I be the king's son. I'm the son of a king. I deserve to have uh, the front door. You know, we, we can, especially as Welsh people, we, we can be so uh, bemoaning our state. But we should ha- hold our heads up high because we're children of the king. <laughs> and we're marching home. And one day, we're going to enter fully into our inheritance. If you've read the Chronicles of Narnia, there's a saying there, once an onion, always an onion. Once in Christ, always. Nothing can sever you from him. Do you know, God sent his son 2,000 years ago right on time. And God is calling you to believe in his son and follow his son. And maybe this is why God has called you here this morning, to hear this little message. And God converts people. You can't save yourself. It's God who does it. And God is right on time when he converts people. There are people here, uh, you've been converted recently, and you're no spring chickens, if I can put it like that. And maybe you're wondering, why have I been converted late in life? I've only got a few years left to serve the Lord. I could have served him uh, for uh, decades. The best years of my life could have been used in his service. Yes, but don't give in to the fretting ghosts of vain regrets. You've been converted right on time. And there are some here who have been converted as children. And you may not have a spectacular Uh, testimony uh, because you've always heard the gospel uh, and all you can say is I believe in Jesus Christ with all my heart and I want to follow him and you don't want uh, to uh, desire something else my friend God has converted you right on time right on time Jesus doeth all things well so when the fullness of the times were come And because God is punctual, I must be punctual, and it's time that I finished. But may God cause every one of us here, right on time, to believe in Jesus Christ, if we haven't yet. And if we are believers, let us this Christmas celebrate, because we've got something worth singing about. And we're going to do that now by singing, this is called Veni Veni. O come, O come. Veni is Latin. Uh, it's better, Veni, Veni. And it's number 464. 464.
come and open wide our heavenly home and bring us all into that blessed hope and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. We praise thee, O God, that thou art always on time. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel, not before, not after, but right on time. And now may the grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.